and welcome to Anyway Pranay. Join your host, Pranay Patel, author of Burgundy Winters in Europe, as he dives deep into subjects close to his heart, from how he built his charity foundations to his strong love for food, engineering, farming, and the great outdoors. Now, let's get into today's episode. Namaskar, my dear brothers and sisters. Welcome to the fifth episode of Anyway Pranay. I am your host Pranay Patil and today we are going to talk about veterans and the obstacles many of them face when returning to civilian life. Just a disclaimer that we will be discussing some topics that some may find triggering. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, let's begin. You're listening to Anyway Pranay. Remember to hit that subscribe button. In HICN, Working paper 347 by Tushar Bharti, titled The Long Shadow of the Kargil War, it was discussed that in the first week of May 1999, five soldiers of an Indian Army patrol team were captured and later tortured to death by Pakistani infiltrators who had illegally entered and occupied strategic locations on the Indian side of the line of control, also known as the LOC. What followed was a high-altitude warfare between the two nuclear states in Kargil district of Kashmir and elsewhere along the LOC that continued for a little over two months. The infiltration and the subsequent war came as a rude surprise to citizens and governments in both countries. While civilians were outside the direct line of fire, the war was fought in an era of satellite news channels and battles were broadcast directly to homes in both the countries. Continuous exposure to news of war gave rise to extended periods of anxiety and mental distress. This distress must have been more acute for the families of the soldiers serving in the military fighting the battles. Even after the war, these families might have had to deal with the post-traumatic stress that soldiers coming back from war might have suffered from. The war was brief but bloody. Around 500 Indian soldiers were killed. The number of Pakistani casualties has been difficult to determine, with estimates ranging from under 400 to around 3,000 soldiers. But the war was fought entirely along the Indo-Pakistan border near Kargil, hundreds of kilometers away from population settlements. With no civilian casualties on the Indian side, therefore, apart from the mental stress, it did not disrupt the day-to-day life of the citizens not serving in the military. As a war hero, Colonel V.V. Sharma said that the war scene was dreadful as one was surrounded by casualties, catastrophe, fear of impending death. That was natural. But as they say, courage is to hold on a minute longer. And the true gallantry, valor and zeal to defeat the enemy who had encroached our land with wrong intentions was far more motivating than the war scene and its after effects. That's what Colonel V.V. Sharma said. War takes a devastating toll on everyone involved. 
but so often it's those who have risked their lives to serve and protect that end up the most affected in the most detrimental ways. Imagine proudly fighting for your country one minute, then facing unemployment, mental health struggles, and even homelessness the next. It sounds like a nightmare, and for many veterans all over the world, it is real life. The military workplace is a unique environment that causes military personnel and families to have experiences that differ from civilians. Military personnel and families are confronted with psychological challenges created by an intense work environment, but they demonstrate resilience. To further promote this resilience, researchers and clinicians should understand military culture so they can better interact with veterans in a culturally competent manner and provide information that will aid in creating supportive working environments. Thus, knowing how military service affects military personnel, families and veterans is key. Military culture is largely unique and defined by its organizational structure, framework and rules. The goal is to expand the knowledge of military culture in those working with military populations and bring them closer to achieving cultural competency. Civilians may not be aware of the unique challenges that separating from military service and returning to civilian life can present. Let's highlight some of these challenges that veterans face, some things that they find difficult during this transition period. Things like relating to people who do not know or understand what military personnel have experienced. And many civilians don't know that they don't know. They just don't know it. Reconnecting with family and re-establishing a role in the family is difficult too. Families may have created new routines during absences and both the family and the veteran will have to adjust to the changes. Joining or creating a community when moving to a new base or post, the military helps military personnel and families adjust this structure is often not automatically in place when someone separates from the military. The veteran and his or her family may have to find new ways to join or create a social community. Then preparing to enter the workforce this is difficult too for veterans. A veteran may have never looked for, applied for or been at an interview for a civilian job, especially if he or she had a career in the military. These are new skills he or she will have to learn and master. In applying for a job, a veteran will have to determine how to translate his or her military skills and duties into civilian terms and create a resume. A veteran may have never created a resume. Instead of a resume, the military uses a field service record to detail qualifications, training, and experience. Returning to a job is difficult too for veterans. If deployed with the National Guard or Reserve, a service member will have to adjust to resuming their previous job or another similar job at the same company. For some recently returning service members, they may find themselves behind a desk in as little as three days after leaving a combat zone. 
Returning to the job may include a period of catching up, learning new skills or adjusting to a new position. It will also include adjusting to social changes that may have occurred in the workplace. During the transition back to work, some veterans also experience worry and fear about a possible job loss. Then creating a structure. The military provides structure and has a clear chain of command. This does not naturally exist outside the military. A veteran will have to create his or her own structure or adjust to living in an environment with more ambiguity. Adjusting to providing basic necessities is difficult for veterans too once they return, like food, clothing, housing. In the military, these things are not only provided, but there is often little choice. For example, you can eat, but only at determined times and at a certain place. Duty station determines what you wear, your dress. Given the lack of choices while in the military, the vast array of choices in the civilian world can sometimes be overwhelming. Then adjusting to a different pace of life and work is difficult too. In the military personnel, do not leave until the mission is complete. In a private sector business, an employee might be expected to stop and go home at 5 p.m. whether the mission is complete or not. This may not be apparent to all veterans. Civilian workplaces may be competitive environments as opposed to the collaborative camaraderie of the military. Given the direct nature of communication in the military settings, there may be subtle nuances in conversations and workplace lingo that are unfamiliar to veterans. Then a veteran may have to go to a doctor. They need to learn how to get a doctor, a dentist, a life insurance guy, etc., etc. These services were initially all provided by the military. A veteran may also need to navigate the paperwork and process of obtaining benefits and services from the Department of Veteran Affairs. A comparative analysis was performed between VAC's benefits and services and the benefits and services offered to veterans in Australia, the United Kingdom and the United States. These countries are considered to have structures similar to Canada and are often used for various types of internal and international comparisons. It is important to note that there are significant differences in the design, delivery and types of services available to veterans in each country. However, all of these countries provide veterans re-establishment support in five common domains disability compensation, rehabilitation, income support, health services coverage and career transition support. All four countries, Australia, Canada and the UK and the US compensate veterans for any assessed disabilities incurred during service. With the exception of the United Kingdom, 
there is no restriction on how long after the injury a veteran can apply for this disability compensation. However, each country provides this compensation differently. In Canada and the United Kingdom, veterans receive a lump sum award. In the United States, veterans can receive either a lump sum award or, for more serious disabilities, a monthly pension. And in Australia, veterans have a choice of receiving a lump sum award or monthly pension too. Although it is important to note that Australia is the only country which adjusts compensation based on the veteran's age. It is also important to note that the three countries who recently modernized their programs, Canada, Australia, UK, moved from paying a monthly pension to providing a lump sum award. Only Canada and Australia cover the cost of financial counselling to help clients manage this compensation which in some cases can be quite a significant amount of money. In all four countries, veterans receive medical health and rehabilitation treatment for any service-related injuries. However, the delivery of this treatment varies. The United States has the only department which manages and delivers this rehabilitation treatment, whereas in Canada and Australia, the veteran departments manage this rehabilitation treatment that is delivered by external service providers. In the United Kingdom, rehabilitation treatment is managed by the Department of Health and delivered by external service providers. One key difference is that the United States is the only country offering a dedicated program for severely disabled clients which provides not only specialized medical health and rehabilitation treatment but also services to address any personal or family adjustment issues and independent living skills training. The Veterans Administration is there to help people transition to life after the military. However, many veterans still find it difficult to adjust. It can be difficult to find work after the return home. As Sarah Roberts said, that about 55% of vets in transition wanted to do something totally different than what they did in the military. Sarah Roberts said that. She's the head of military and veteran programs for the Department of Veterans Affairs. Well, veterans, particularly those without college degrees, are often pushed towards low-skilled jobs, even though their training and the culture of the military might well translate into other types of positions. A clear pipeline to those jobs, however, doesn't exist for veterans. Miss Lynch said that the employers are saying it's not our job to train them. That's what Miss Lynch said, what the employers are saying. Miss Lynch is the Chief Content and Programming Officer at Working Nation. Working Nation 
is a non-profit campaign that focuses on labor in the United States. She also said that employers aren't doing anything to help the veterans at all. So whose job is it, she asked, to train the veterans for the workforce? The military? Obviously not, she said. Miss Lynch was right. Well, many jobs require licenses and training for skills that veterans learnt in combat, particularly in healthcare. Many veterans who acquire deep knowledge and specialized emergency response techniques, for example, would have no immediate access to the long credentialing process to become a physician assistant. Miss Lynch said she had encountered many returning medics who were unable to immediately translate their skills into jobs. Even when they had privately tutored medical residents on skills like suturing because they lacked a license. At the same time, those extensive experiences may not apply in other often lower wage jobs for which they are vastly overqualified. Miss Lynch also said that these people have about a million dollars of training that the government put into them. But they don't have one credit towards a professional degree and they end up being turned down for jobs delivering dry cleaning, things like that, jobs like that. It really breaks your heart. I agree with Miss Lynch. What's also heartbreaking is those who become physically impaired. Many veterans sustain injuries while they are in combat. Amputation, scars and disfigurement are some of the physical injuries that people may get while they are in combat. These physical handicaps can make it even more difficult to get a job. It can also cause self-esteem issues. Veterans do such a noble thing by serving their country, but many of them struggle with a sense of purpose and identity. They may have self-esteem issues because they no longer have the noted title that they used to have, which can lead to depression. Depression and suicide rates are higher among people who have served in the military, while military service often fosters resilience in individuals and families, some service members may experience mental health or substance use challenges. 30% of active duty and reserve military personnel deployed in Iraq and Afghanistan have a mental health condition requiring treatment. Approximately 730,000 men and women with many experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder and major depression. Sadly, less than 50% of returning veterans in need receive any mental health treatment. The Veterans Administration reports that 
approximately 20 veterans die by suicide every day, which is absolutely devastating. When Army Staff Sergeant Earl Granville ran in a race with a team of fellow veterans as a part of the Achilles Freedom Team, they often took turns carrying a cinder block strapped on their backs. They call the block Cindy and what she represents, Granville said, is the heavy mental adversity we all face as human beings, guilt, stress, depression, anxiety, all those bad feelings that hold you down and keep you from enjoying life. Well, I agree with him there. When one teammate gets tired of carrying Cindy, they hand her to another. It's a reminder that no one has to carry the burden alone. They all carry the burden together. It's a message that Granville devotes his life to telling. The 37-year-old Pennsylvania resident lost part of his left leg in 2008 during a tour in Afghanistan when a roadside bomb hit his vehicle and killed two of his friends, Derek Holland and Major Scott Haggerty. But for Granville, the months he spent rehabilitating from the blast were nothing compared to the internal struggles he faced when his twin brother, Staff Sergeant Joe Granville, died by suicide two years later. The invisible wounds he felt were crushing. He also said in an interview that when he lost his leg, he felt so lucky to be alive. But when he lost his brother, he was a wreck. It nearly destroyed him. Deployments, particularly repeated deployments, have taken a toll on the mental health and well-being of many veterans and active duty members. Called shell shock by World War I soldiers, these invisible wounds of war, which include depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, and traumatic brain injury, TBI, are widespread. The statistics are sobering. According to one of the largest studies of mental health risk among the US military, the rate of major depression among soldiers was five times as high as civilians, and the rate of PTSD was nearly 15 times higher. Veterans with PTSD also have high psychiatric comorbidity rates. One study showed that major depressive disorder is three to five times more likely to emerge in those with PTSD than those without. And nearly 20% of service members returning from Iraq and Afghanistan reported experiencing a probable traumatic brain injury, according to a study from the RAND Center for Military Health Policy Research. Left untreated, these invisible wounds can have devastating effects on veterans and their families. According to the RAND Center, people affected with depression, PTSD and traumatic brain injury can exhibit higher rates of other unhealthy behaviours, higher rates of physical health problems and higher rates of suicide.
One recent study showed that more than 30,000 active duty and veterans of post-9-11 wars have died by suicide over the last 20 years. That's more than four times the number of service members killed in war operations during that time. Alexandra Bradley said that she thinks the first thing that shows up is a change in sleep patterns. It's like a symptom. Alexandra Bradley is an informatics consultant with Cigna's national accounts and co-lead of the ERG, who is the daughter of a Navy commander as well as a spouse of an army colonel. She also said that it's the need to carve out time on their own. And then in many families, it's about money. Ayana Bernard, a Cigna Salute ERG co-lead and army veteran, military spouse and a military mom said that many military families, especially lower enlisted, live paycheck to paycheck. Working to make ends meet can cause huge amounts of stress for spouses and service members alike. The impact on mental health and well-being can linger long after deployment. In addition, PTSD symptoms may not emerge until weeks or even years after a traumatic event. The symptoms include avoiding people or activities that remind the person of the traumatic event, negative thoughts and hopelessness, self-destructive behavior, trouble sleeping and concentrating, and angry or aggressive behavior. Symptoms of traumatic brain injury are also very broad and it can be tricky to diagnose because all too often veterans don't realize they have it. Traumatic brain injury in veterans is typically caused by exposure to blasts, which can also result in more significant brain injuries than those from falls or motor vehicle accidents. The most common causes of brain injury for civilians are those, said Dr. Gregory, a senior medical principal for Cigna, who also serves on the New Jersey Neuroscience Institute. He said motor vehicle accidents and falls are common among civilians. But veterans have different kinds of injuries. But if a veteran doesn't lose consciousness from the blast, they may not recognize they have a brain injury. Those life changes can make the adjustment to civilian life difficult for some veterans. Granville, the army staff sergeant, said that most of them join as soon as they become adults. Their whole adult life is combat boots and a rifle. Then they are taken out of this huge culture that's full of purpose and passion. Granville says, 
that it refers to the veterans who want to hang on to the glory days as suffering from Uncle Rico syndrome, named from the character who was obsessed with reliving high school days as a popular football player in the movie Napoleon Dynamite. To lift himself up after the death of his brother, Granville focused on what he calls finding the three P's. A purpose, a passion and a part of something bigger than himself, all of which he had in the army. For Granville, his purpose came from motivational speaking. His passion is physical fitness and travelling. And he is a part of several charities, a member of the Achilles Freedom Team and sees it as his duty to honour his friends Derek and Scott by helping their families. Dr. Will Lopez, a US Air Force veteran and the Senior Medical Director for Cigna Behavioral Health said, this kind of structure is important in helping veterans adjust to civilian life and maintain strong mental health and well-being. He also said that when you serve, you have a lot of structure, but back in civilian life, you have to figure things out on your own. It can also be a struggle for veterans to determine how to translate their military skills to the civilian world. In many cases, there is no direct job translation. Even Lopez agrees with that. And these factors can create barriers that prevent veterans from being successful. While the wounds that veterans suffer from may not be apparent to outsiders, loved ones can attest that the outward signs are very real. While service members and veterans share many characteristics with civilians regarding financial stability and preparedness, military life can amplify and exasperate financial problems. The transient nature of military service has a profound impact on finances. Frequent relocations, changes of address and deployment often result in bank fees for lack of use or non-compliance with account terms. Combined with missed bank communications about account changes, these fees continue to accrue over time. Frequent moves also cause disruptions that compromise the ability of military spouses to achieve sustainable employment and further limit emergency savings and contributions to retirement. Financial problems can be all-encompassing and lead to stress, anxiety, difficulty concentrating and getting a good night's sleep. In contrast, a positive financial situation characterized by less debt or higher net worth may improve perceptions about quality of life. For veterans, there is a significant connection between financial problems and post-deployment adjustment issues 
including homelessness, incarceration, drug or alcohol abuse, physical aggression, and suicidal ideation. Money mismanagement, such as writing bad checks, is strongly associated with homelessness. Lack of resources to cover basic needs, as well as diagnosis of PTSD, MDD, or TBI can exasperate these challenges. The key to improving the financial stability of service members and veterans is education to increase financial knowledge and promote positive behaviors. Service members often depend on the military to receive financial education through military family service centers and in some cases through individual commands. However, according to a 2015 report by Blue Star Families, a significant majority of active duty members interviewed felt the Department of Defense needed to provide more financial literacy training or classes. Community-based organizations need to do their part as well as by incorporating financial literacy into their array of support services. Many service members and veterans choose not to take advantage of programs, classes and training offered due to a self-perception of high financial literacy. In one study, 72% of veterans indicated they were content with their financial status. Despite their overall financial satisfaction, respondents showed a high likelihood of having experienced financial hardship or difficulty meeting basic needs. Financial literacy education for service members and veterans must address this disconnect between perception, knowledge and behavior. Creative rethinking of how financial literacy programs are marketed to active duty service members and veterans can attract participants and reach more people. Providing financial counseling or training before, during and after the transition to civilian employment can help veterans evaluate their needs, overcome challenges and become financially stable. Service members are often the target of unscrupulous practices and predatory lenders who know that transitioning veterans and service members are an economically vulnerable population. For example, the largest concentrations of payday lending businesses are located in the same zip codes as military bases. Active duty service members may be as much as three times more likely to take payday loans than civilians. Military families also have a higher willingness to rely on credit and incur debt. One study found that 36% of military families had four credit cards or more. Veterans and service members need to be aware of these practices and learn financial management skills to guard against predatory lenders. While the poverty rate for veterans is lower than the national average, deployment impacts military families in all aspects of life, including finances. Other aspects of military life such as unexpected moves, discontinuity of spousal employment, 
and transitioning to the civilian workforce also affect the financial stability of service members and veterans. The number of veterans experiencing homelessness in 2020 increased even more than before. And the effects of the coronavirus pandemic damaged employment prospects and financial resources for the community. That's according to a report released by the Department of Housing and Urban Development in America. Historically, national policy failures have meant that veterans are more likely to experience homelessness. In 2019, 21 out of every 10,000 veterans were homeless. Veterans of color have the highest likelihood of being homeless. Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islanders who are veterans are most at risk. 106 out of every 10,000 are homeless, despite the service to the country. American Indians and black people have similarly elevated numbers. Significantly, all racial and ethnic subgroups have benefited from the movement to end veterans' homelessness. For black veterans who experienced the most significant drop in homelessness, 26%, over the last five years, the movement helps reduce disparities between them and other groups. Within the homeless services world, COVID-19 related unemployment rates and evictions are a cause for alarm. Streams of new clients may be coming to seek assistance from providers. Most job losses will not result in literal homelessness, but it is a risk factor. Unfortunately, sheltered veterans disproportionately fall into two categories facing barriers in the pandemic-impacted job market. Older adults and people with disabilities. Within the former category, researchers are flagging that people 55 years and over have been losing jobs faster and returning to work slower than middle-aged workers. And advocates worry that people with disabilities are more likely to be in retail jobs and have a chance of losing those retail jobs because of the recession. These challenges may drive more veterans into homelessness while making it harder for them to get out. Despite the existence of government moratoriums, evictions are still occurring throughout the United States. Worse, the current national moratorium will expire on December the 31st and it's unclear whether renters will receive any further aid. Impacted people are at a risk of homelessness and advocates have been reporting troubling stories of veterans facing recent evictions. With the recent passage by the US Congress of Legislation that addresses benefits and care for military veterans exposed to be a toxic burn pit overseas. Many politicians have hailed this 
as a landmark achievement. But within the United Kingdom, the United States and around the world, veterans still face a myriad of problems. Homelessness, unemployment, denied benefits and mental health issues still grip a significant swath of those who serve their country in the military. Against these problems, are the voices of veterans being adequately heard? And if not, then what are they fighting for? The online conversation in an event series called Free Speech at the Crossroads, International Dialogues, will include a litigation director at a legal organization that helps US veterans receive benefits and veterans who serve as the deputy CEO of a support charity in the United Kingdom, a senior director of government affairs at a non-profit for post-9-11 veterans in the United States, and an assistant professor of mental health and psychiatric nursing in the United Arab Emirates, who has supported fellow veterans suffering from PTSD. But one of the biggest barriers in mental health treatment is that people, and veterans in particular, often have trouble asking for help. Lopez, an Air Force veteran and psychiatrist, also said that a lot of this comes from the military culture. They're tough. They have to get out of their boots and keep going. Unfortunately, a lot of barriers to getting help are self-imposed, Lopez said. Even in the 21st century, we still have a lot of stigma around mental health, he added. Doug Pallister, senior manager of operations at Evico, a Cigna company, who served as commander sergeant major for the 75th Ranger Regiment, put it this way, quote, I always ask people, if you broke your leg, what would you do? They say, I'd go to the doctor, so I ask. If you break your head, what should you do? The answer is, you also need to go to a doctor. Unquote. The challenge is, as much as we like to say, There's no stigma. There really is a stigma around mental health. Another issue that prevents many veterans from talking about their experiences is that all too often civilians will assume that because they've deployed, they suffer from PTSD. People can be shy about wanting to share their experiences. Because they are afraid, if they open up just a little bit, someone will put them in a box and then it could affect their career. It's an issue Granville has had to deal with many times. Once, he was even invited to a hunting trip by a group who said it would help him with his PTSD. Then he said to them that just because he's lost his leg doesn't mean he has PTSD. There's a huge misconception that if you've served, 
then maybe you're struggling mentally. That needs to go. That's a stigma that needs to go. Too often when veterans do ask for help, the mental health resources available can be dependent upon who they are and where they live. Social stigma about these mental health issues just need to go. Wendy Barnes, who served for 10 years as a medical service corps officer and is now president of Express Scripts, said that there are opportunities to expand mental health resources to underserved areas through virtual and telehealth. There are really some phenomenal resources out there. So what can we do about this? When a veteran does ask for help, the most important thing to do is just listen. Pallister's advice is that don't baby a veteran. Don't try to put the person in a box. The majority of veterans are no different than any other guy or girl walking down the street. From the perspective of a military spouse, Bradley's advice comes in three parts. First, remind them that you love them and love is unconditional. Second, remind yourself that you love yourself because it's easy to take on the burden and think that you are responsible. And the third thing is to get help. If you have EAP, call your EAP. Cigna has a veteran support line. Find someone to talk to and find some active care that you can do for yourself every day. Go for a walk. Go and get a coffee. Because if you don't find a way to look outside your tunnel, you'll never get out of it. Finally, I want to know your thoughts on this. Tell me what you think. Do you think veterans need more protection from the military for the transition from army life to civilian life? Let me know on social media. Let me know. Hit me up on Instagram and write a comment on any of my posts. I will look into it for sure. Unfortunately, right now, I'm running out of time. See you all next Friday evening. Jai Hind, my dear brothers and sisters. And Namaskar. Thanks for listening to this episode of Anyway Pranay. If you like what you heard, then be sure to hit like and subscribe. Have a burning question for Pranay or a topic you'd love him to discuss on the show? Feel free to get in touch. You can reach Pranay on all socials at Pranay342. See you next time. <laughs>